Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 47th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, I didn't do the bit where I act like you're not on the podcast when we have a guest. Can you believe it? Yeah, I was kind of ready to be ignored for at least the first like minute or two of the episode, but this is kind of a nice surprise. Yeah, I leveled I leveled your expectations because I was like, Michael's probably expecting that I won't address him because I've done it every other time we've had a guest. So I'm going to address him and mm. catch him off guard. Mm-hmm. He looks stunned. <laughs> he looks absolutely stunned. He's speechless. <laughs> <laughs> but we're joined by our first returning guest, Zachary Bunn, uh, I'm, Captain I'm honored. Wolfpack. I uh, I had no idea I was the first returning guest. That's a, a incredible. I was going to ask, you said episode 47, and uh, when do, do you have like a date when you posted your first episode or started the podcast? End of May last year, I believe. I don't have the exact date off the top of my head. Yeah. You guys, you guys it was are coming 47 up on weeks a, ago. Mm-hmm. Give or take. Are you, you got. I was gonna say, have you guys posted every week for the past forty-seven weeks? Yeah, I've been yeah. really. Uh, May twenty-eighth was our first episode, um, and okay. we have not missed a week since we started. Uh, that's been a big thing that Michael and I have both really cared about a lot. Like making sure we always do our weekly podcast thing. And since we started started doing university, I think we've taken one week off of university during Christmas time when there weren't any matches going on. And, and universities where you guys watch back a gameplay and talk about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Those videos are killer. Uh, I'll just say, if you aren't on their Patreon, you aren't watching those videos, you should be. What I was going to say is it's uh, very few podcasts make it to a year and very, 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 very few podcasts actually stick to the weekly goal. I've, I've seen so many over the, I, I, for far too long. I've seen, I, been in this industry and seeing you know podcasts show up when people get really excited about a game so kudos to you guys for uh the determination and making it this far it's really remarkable uh what you're doing and i try to say it every time i'm on these things but i I do think that uh content creators like you guys are the the heartbeat of this community so and i know it's a ton of work like i just understand how much goes into it so uh really props to you guys for making it this far and I'm, I'm always happy to be on. So I'm honestly honored that you would even care to talk to me again. So here we are. <laughs> of course, you're part of the illustrious Wolfpack, the largest and most winningest team in all of <laughs> flesh and blood history. Now. I don't know how you're measuring either of these things, but sure. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, we're the, we're the team that has the world champion on it by like that. So there you go. Yeah, well, we we at least won a couple tournaments, as you know, we, we the proverbial we, uh, <laughs> the royal we, <laughs> the royal we've we. done really well. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> by that measure, I am a flesh and blood god because uh, my team just keeps winning. I don't know what's what's up with that. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, awesome to be here. I honestly, it, it's crazy. I, I've been saying this for the past couple of weeks. Um. So first, I also want to apologize a little bit. Uh, if my voice. I've been nursing a little bit of a, I, I don't know what it is. It's not strep. It's not COVID. I think it's like just a cold. My wife had it before me. Um, and so my voice is a little, uh, it's, it's doing all right right now. This morning, someone commented on me sounding like someone who had been smoking for a very long time uh, when we were testing. <laughs> but uh, th- that's not really even what I wanted to note. What I wanted to note is like, we're kind of at this really incredible point in fab for me, at least. Uh, one of my big goals coming into 2023 was... I want to get to the end of the year and not be burnt out. So like about na- nationals last year is when I was really feeling the burn of just too much too like uh, it'd been going on too consistently, too routinely, took a break, uh, feeling a lot better, but both my general mentality towards the game and also the game itself, we have the outsiders limited format, which I'm excited to talk to you guys about. Uh, but also even the constructed and just being in it with the team, I feel like I'm, I'm living some sort of like dream reality out where this morning, you know, I was crawling out of bed with my cold or whatever it is, and just like genuinely excited to be hanging out and playing fab at like 630 in the morning with members of the Wolfpack and like having a team of people that you like playing with in these games and a game this good where I feel like there's always just these little things you can make better and you can get a little better every day is truly uh, a privilege and just remarkable. And like the past couple of weeks, a couple of times we're just talking as a team and the feeling I have is just like, my God, this is so awesome. I, I can't believe that this is the existence that we have. So all that to say, even though I have a little bit of a cold, I sound a little funky. 
I'm probably more excited about Fab right now than I have been at almost any point. There was a moment when I first got into like really the idea of being competitive at Fab. Um, and I'd taken a, before the pandemic, I played a game called Star Wars Destiny. And that, at the end of that, I was burnt out and I was like, all right, I'm not ever doing that again. Then the pandemic hit and it was like, okay, you know, whatever. And then once the calling started and my eyebrow raised a little bit, I was really into Fab at that particular moment too, because there was this kind of spark post pandemic thing going on. Mm-hmm. But right mm-hmm. now it's just such a, such a great time to be a Fab player. Anyways, I don't know where I, where, why I started going down that path, but I just wanted to know I'm really excited about Fab. That's awesome. It's a nice dichotomy because Michael, the world champion, is completely resting on his laurels, barely testing anymore. <laughs> He's just like, I'm already better than everybody else. I don't need to practice oh anymore. I'll just bring some whatever 80 Icelander cards, 79 Icelander cards I brought together last time. It'll be good enough. It's fine. I mean, <laughs> until we as a community can prove him wrong, uh, more power to him, dude. Yeah. <sighs> How do you feel about that, Michael? I've been... I, don't, I feel like he's putting words right in your mouth and you're just sighing. I've been testing. I just have been testing things that aren't very good. So they're not what I'm going to play at the Pro Tour. So when I'm trying to like, I don't know, like this is a similar like pattern that would have happened if Wounded Bull Ice ended up being really bad. I would have been like wasting my time on random bad cards on bad decks and then decide it wasn't good enough and then go play whatever the team old time deck was for the Pro Tour the nationals or whatever yeah i uh i don't know i don't have any experience testing bad decks while the team is testing good decks not yeah not me neither at all never nope never never would happen <laughs> not me no <laughs> not zach and i we always just play the best deck you know <laughs> man it's i'm I, I going into this pro tour three I, and I, if you guys have topics you actually want to talk about feel free to take over but going into pro tour three my uh, one of my biggest goals was like, I just want to play a deck that the team is not raising their eyebrow at. And every day I feel like I'm getting closer to ex- that exact scenario. And I just can't. It's like magnets. I just can't avoid it. I don't know. I don't know why. You are who you are, man. You just you just got to play a room blit. You got to figure it out. It's just, it's <laughs> just, just like, in your yeah, blood. Sucked in. Yeah. I, I will at say. At least the good news that... is. Oh, go ahead, Michael. I was going to say, I will say that. I am slightly more raising eyebrows based on your recent results with the deck you've been working on <laughs> than hey, I was we start- a couple of weeks ago when you asked me the first time. Yeah, I was I was g- talking to the team. It's one of the upsides of having a team. And two weeks ago, I was reasonable, but now I'm, now people are starting to squint at me. Mm-hmm. We'll see what mm-hmm. happens. Either way, yeah. I'll have a good time. I'll tell you that. Because I guess one of the big things I want to talk about is just how large our team is. I think we have like 20-ish people on the team now. So I think at first there was a lot of skepticism as we kept growing and growing. Like I think Michael and I joined, we went to like the 12 or so or 12 or 15. And then we added a few more people. And then now we're all, like I said, we're all up to 20-ish. And the amount of ground that we're covering on like this high level professional testing team, like I think is just far and away beyond like what, other teams or like what people are capable of doing like on their own and it's hard to like really get a grasp of that because somebody will just have an idea and you're like oh well that's an interesting idea let me see if i can take it and then they'll tweak it and then you'll be like oh well i see how you tweaked it and then this other person has an idea to expand it even further and i just feel like we're, like already we've just like iterated on like five six versions of every hero we're considering in like our tier one bucket or whatever and it's just like really awesome to see that much like collaboration and like uh michael was talking the other day too where it's just like it feels like now somebody's playing a game at all times of the day in the wolfpack channel it's just like <laughs> any time of day you want to find a game yeah. except for like three o'clock in the morning maybe and even then sometimes even uh, then i think you might be able to get games <laughs> maybe i so, should ask more when i can't sleep <laughs> <laughs> but how have you felt like trying to like manage all of that you know it's it's because like at I would still consider you to be like the top team, like uh, manager, even though you're very reluctant to have that role. Uh, but like, has it become like easier or harder to manage the more people have joined? That's a really good question. So we, for context, I don't, I don't know if you guys have mentioned this on a recent episode or not, but um, we recently added a handful more people. And like you said, I think we're at 19 or 20. I mean, technically it's, <clears throat> So the Wolfpack, uh, as we say, for life. Uh, so we have some people on the team, like John had a had a kid, 
um, and was kind of not going to events for a minute and not able to actively test as much. And he's getting back on the horse uh, more recently. Then we also have some people uh, like Steven, who I uh, co-founded Covenant with and who I play on stream with and stuff, but uh, he's more of a limited focused person. And even then, and a life bold just... expert, a bold connoisseur. So we got to give definitely, that yeah, a hundred percent. So there's like you know some people that aren't fully engaged all the time, but uh, we are pretty actively at like our, our, we have a weekly team meeting, and there were eighteen to twenty people who are showing up to the the weekly meeting. And I was we we wrestled with it for a while because uh, like if you, if you spin it all the way back. Um, to when the Wolfpack started, which is just over a year ago now. It, it was me and Tim and Ian were the primary three people. Um, and we had our uh, split with the Arsenal Pass testing team, as it were. We're testing group. Sorry, I used the wrong word there, not team, group. Um, and uh, we also brought, brought along Dante. And Dante brought along his friend Mike, who later would become Prism Mike, a uh, legendary character in the story. And then after that, I that that was like the team for Pro Tour One. And then I added, um, or I talked to, I ran into Andrew at the Pro Tour, and I played Star Wars Destiny with Andrew. Um, in fact, he won the last Star Wars Destiny World Championship back in 2019, and I went out with him and a couple of his friends uh, to celebrate uh, his World Championship. So I, I was I was aware of Andrew, even though he lived in another state. Um, but back then, like when I played Destiny, I, I didn't play online. Like that was just not a thing that it just didn't happen for me for that game. And so fab was very different because we were, I had, we obviously had a team and we were playing online and had some Canadians in the crew. So I uh, ended up bringing Andrew and stuff. So like there were a handful of ads, like my friend, Matt Coles, um, who's on the team as well. Uh, and just people that I knew, one of the special things about fab for me is that a lot of people play this game that played previous games I played, but also, from different games. So like I knew Andrew from Destiny. I knew Matt Coles from Star Wars LCG. I, and you kind of go down the list of how you met uh, these people. Um, it was actually you guys were the first people that I reached out or that reached out or however that happened. Um, that wasn't someone I had previously or prior to Fab known, if that makes sense. Um, and it slowly just kept kept growing. But we we the team debated. You guys were there for it. But towards the end of last year, we had a handful of people and it was like, it was more regional. Some people in Ohio knew this person and some people in Oklahoma knew this person and some people, uh, you know, in Indiana knew this person or New York or wherever. And we're already at a pretty big size in my mind. Like once you get to, <clears throat> once you get to like 10 to 13 people, it's a crowd. It's, it's just a, a little bit different of a vibe. So pushing up to closer to 20, um, you know, I, I have experience managing a team, um, at Covenant, building the the company, but we we've never been past ten people. So even the twelve to fourteen starts to hit, and you know it's not it's different because this is just a team of people playing Fab versus an actual company. And you don't have to manage our benefits or figure out how to raise our pay yeah. or anything like that. And no one's worried about who's getting a raise and who's not getting a raise and who didn't show up to work and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's different, but it, you know culturally, I think the communication, even just communication, and like. Uh, I, I think to me, a huge part of a, a great team is trust. Um, and so you get to a certain level and it gets really hard to, to be close to people and also just to trust them. You know, let's say Michael does have the next Bolander deck that he's working on, or maybe, you know, I finally figure out how to make Viscerai good. Um, then it, if you have enough people in enough different places, it's really easy for someone just to be like, oh, I'll mention something to my local player who was doing that, or I'll play this deck at a thing. And one of the rules of one of the general, not rules, like uh, there's a better word for it than rule. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I don't know. It, so the, one of the basic ideas on the Wolfpack is we don't want to prevent people from playing. So if you're, if you're going to go play locally, it's not like a rule. Uh, it's just whatever. It's a guy, a principle. I don't know. Um, and so you don't want to restrain people from playing. And so like, if you hear about some, or you've been testing something with, you know, Roger on Bolton, maybe you finally cracked the code, right? Um, you don't want to prevent someone from going to play a deck they want to play in an event they want to play. But anyways, all that to say, um, I've been really surprised. Like, I think the the size of the team right now is really fantastic. Um, as you guys mentioned, there's a lot of upsides. Like, we basically, can, you can hop on at almost any time and play a game against a, like, you know, serious good player who's actually, like, testing something specifically. Um, the 
amount of information that's kind of churning out and we'll see, right? Like the long-term results will kind of show this or not. Cause we, you know, you were saying Roger earlier, we're going through all these iterations of decks. We could also be way behind, right? Or we could be way off based on like what the meta is or what's good. And like, I, I'd be surprised, but we could be, we could be way off, right? Or someone could figure something out that we, that we miss. I think you could have a team of a hundred people and still probably not crack the code on a perfect meta and stuff. It would get easier, right? Cause you could just have a hundred person tournament every weekend and you probably get some really good data that other people don't have or whatever. But um, I think some huge advantages. I also think that there's a, a really strong diversity of, of, of thought on the team. Um, and you know, one thing Roger, you and I shared, unfortunately at pro tour two, <laughs> um, is that it, it was basically, you were on prism, right? Mm, I was and the I lone was on, prism Island. Yeah. And I was on Briar, and then the entire rest of the team at the pro tour was on old Tim. Mm. And what I saw in the lead up to that, I was really jealous of because I think having other people who are as committed to a deck or an idea as you are and testing it and talking about it and refining each other and going back and forth. And it's way more efficient. It's really effective. You have someone to check. You're kind of like, you know, your my there, there are cards that I have soft spots for. And even even if, you know, the rugged math of it is like wrong, it's like, I'm, I don't know, there's situations where this is the right <laughs> card. So like, let's get it. But when you have three or four other people testing the same deck, that's a lot harder to make happen, right? Because like, mm. you're biased for these certain experiences or this certain deck or this certain matchup. And they'll just, you'll find that out very quickly. Um, but now at the size that we're at, um, both, you know, it's helpful for limited just because you have more perspective as well. But for constructed, I also feel like finally we have the ability for multiple people to be on each hero. So... At Pro Tour 2, I think there were only like six or seven of us playing in the tournament. And so there was a bunch of old hymns, and then there was a, a Briar, and then a Prism. And then a lot of the other, the rest of the team was really helpful in testing and stuff. But it's different when you're playing in the event, like your commitment level and your interest level and your engagement and stuff. So I do feel like now, though, uh, it's really nice as the player who's constantly, let's just call a spade a spade, constantly trying to make Runeblade work. Um even though I'm spending my time doing that, I do, there's a lot of uh, uh, trust on my end, right? That the people who are working on the other decks are doing a really good job. And so in the next week, week and a half, I'm going to have to make a decision. Like, do I feel like I've got the goods with the decks that I'm working on? Or am I going to pivot to something the team's working on? Um, and, you know, I do think it's helpful even in the lead up to Worlds. Uh, I'm, You know, for you, Hamilton, I, you very, very kindly spent like three or four, like six to eight hour sessions playing your Icelander, my Briar, because I was trying to figure out how to beat Icelander's Briar. And then it ended up happening that you played against a Briar in the top eight and the top four worlds. Um, or was it top four and top and finals? It was top four and finals. finals. Yeah. Yeah. Top four and finals. So your last two games were against Briar and we had literally played 30 games. I went back and played (laughs) 30 games, uh, in the two or two or three weeks beforehand. And at the time I'm, I'm 99.9% sure you were being nice to me. You did not think you were getting a lot of value out of those games. Um, and how much that helped you or not, I don't know. But I, you know, even just as my role on the team right now, I'm willing to have a worse tournament if every, let's say every 10, 10 major seasons, finally the deck that I'm working on is the right deck and I can help the team either be prepared to play against that deck or to play as that deck, right? Um, and I'm, I am willing to pivot. This is the first event where I would be willing to pivot as long as as long as it's a hero I would enjoy in, on some level. I'll play the hero that I enjoy that also gives me the best chance of doing well. But having a big team has been super helpful for that. And I can just see there's multiple options for me to pivot to if I need to. And there's there, uh, a lot of people who are prepared and, and happy to teach um, those things. But, you know, I think it, it kind of comes back. We put up, I haven't really talked about it anywhere, but the fabwolfpack.com website. Yeah, we'll link and, that in the description, the comments or something like that. Yeah, we, we get that question at major events a lot. The, one of the biggest reasons I put that thing together was people just asking, hey, is there a list somewhere of everyone on the team so I know who, like, when they're on the stream or who to root for or, like, who's that that kind of a thing. So there's mm. the, the homepage just has pictures and names of all the people that are on the team. Uh, but then there's, like, the about piece. Um, and I, I think one of the things that when we added the latest recruits uh, to the team uh, as a as a team, it was basically the decision of we keep talking about maybe it's going to get too big. Maybe we're going to get too many people uh, and we can keep talking about that forever or we can just add the people and find out. Right. Maybe we yeah. go up to 20 and it's too much. Uh, and so far, I, I've been loving it. 
Um, and sure. we, we haven't we haven't had a an event. Pro Tour three will be the first event where since being this size, the vast majority of the team is going to be able to be together in person. Um, and I, I think those those moments are very important for team chemistry, team trust, um, and just enjoyment, right? Like you spend all this time talking to these people and interacting and playing games. Um, but some of my best memories from last year are just the breakfast or the dinners or the after celebrations. The um, giant thing of beer. Yeah, that you you were like, yeah, let's let's get that one. That's How the right can size. ten liters be? Can't, yeah. Ten liters is like a gallon, right? It's that's yeah, like I'm, whatever. Sure, surely, all two and a half of us could drink that, right? <laughs> and and we did, but it, the, that was like a great moment, right? Or like the the beer garden in Charlotte um, after Michael won uh, the mm. or I think that was before he even won the national championship. That was after you guys had made the cut, um, and so yeah. Th- those moments are really important to me. I think in general, uh, the only reason it works at this size, this n- amount of people, um, is because there are uh, a fair number of shared values, right? And that, that's what I was mentioning about the about page on the Wolfpack. I think the the there's a lot of different ways to structure a group, but um, being on the same page on the the big issues uh, is is really nice, right? Which is uh, the short version of that is effectively we're a team, right? It's about the group. It's not about the individual. We respect each other, trust each other, share with each other, help each other in any way that we can. Uh, the second one is we love the game and the process. So if you're not having a good time, stop, right? Take a break. Go, go. I, and Andrew, particularly at the end of last year, was like, or the start of this year, ProQuest were happening that first couple of weeks of the year. And he was really burnt out. I was, I was encouraging him to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was, he was burnt and now he's like all cylinders are firing. He's back, right? He took his break. He came back and he's good. Uh, the third one is per- we pursue mastery. Um, and, and that's something that you can feel. And there've been some new people making some comments about the vibe on the team. That's really awesome, which is like, it's not this like super intense. I think, I think the whole Wolfpack thing or competitive teams and stuff could sound really intimidated and intense, but it's really not. I mean, if you have a group of two or three people you play fab with, like it probably looks a lot like that. Just people hanging out, playing, talking. There's a lot more math, I assume. I, Hamilton, you know, breaking down the the value curve of of cards and stuff. Um, but everyone on the team just looking to be as good as they can at Fab, right? Um, and it's not about uh, trophies and hundred thousand dollar checks and stuff. That stuff's cool. But there is a genuine sense that uh, everyone on the team just wants to be great. Fourth point being, we aren't we aren't here for the money. Um, and th- I, I think. There's other pieces of it, but one of the big things for me every time we were adding someone is just making sure the vibe was right. Um, and it's really easy just to add players because their ELO's high or whatever. And uh, not saying that our vibe is the correct vibe as much as there's definitely a vibe to the Wolfpack. That's a very specific uh, vibe. <laughs> if you've ever messed up with the Wolfpack, I'd be, you know, whatever. But like, I, I that, that was the most important thing to me. And every time we've added people, They've been, uh, you know, very similar values in that way. Um, and it's been amazing to see it just function. It's really cool. Um, so to answer your question from like 20 minutes ago, uh, I haven't, I've yet to find a downside, right? That's fair. Um, it's been awesome. And I think it's a very, it's not an easy thing to put together 20 people who have similar values, who are on similar levels of commitment for a competitive game like this. Um, and that's what, part of what I was saying just about sitting back and, you know, just enjoying reality as it is right now, because like, I don't think I've, I've, I spent a long time playing games that weren't the big three. Like basically I got into Pokemon when it first came out and I was a kid within a couple of years, I pivoted to other games and then can really for 25 years played everything that wasn't the big three. Yeah, I listened to you um, on a podcast where you, where your family just like didn't allow you to play Magic the Gathering, and I was like, that's that's wild. And Michael actually said the same thing. Like his family was like, no, that's a Satan game. And my my parents were like, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. It, I was definitely in a household where that was not an okay thing. But besides that, it's sort of like the decks that I pick, right? Um, it's really <laughs> hard for me to want to play the tier one deck, right? Or just the mm-hmm. obvious, like like when Starvo was a thing. I love Bravo. He's one of my favorite original heroes. And then he gets a special treatment version of the hero. And then like the weekend after he came out, he won that tournament. And then I played against it once. And I was like, 
nope, I'm never playing that at a tournament. Like, there's no sure. way I can't do it. Um, so I spent a lot decades playing games that aren't the big three, right? And so most of the games that I've played don't last more than three to six years. And Fab is in year four going on five this year. Um, or ain't going anywhere anytime soon, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so I've just never, never been a part of a game that reached this point where it feels successful and stable. And there's this, I've never played a game with this much tournament support, right? With a, basically a big event you can go to all the time. Um, and I've never played an event or a game with this big of a community where a team like the Wolfpack could be assembled on this level. Um, so like, it's just this, like all these things happening all at once. And it's, it just feels kind of like right place, right time. I just feel so fortunate to be getting to play fab as a player and to be on the Wolfpack as a team, even mm. as covenant on the business side, like to have a publisher, like legend story studios come along and believe Support the in, game in the way they do. Yeah. The, yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, it's just incredible. Like it, it really, it's crazy. I, I, I it's just nuts. It, it, it really is. It just feel like it living in the moment and really enjoying it. And I hope it goes on forever. Like, uh, game deserves it. I would love for the Wolfpack to be around forever. Um, I could do this for the rest of my life. I just love the process. It don't, I could, I could get crushed at every tournament too. It doesn't even matter. Um, the process itself has just been so it's been, it's great. I'm, I'm super happy with the way things are right now and hope it just keeps getting better. Yeah. I know Michael, you were really burnt out towards the end of last year as well. Um, do you think like, has the team helped revitalize your interest in any way? Or like, how has the team, do you think, helped support you going into this pro tour the most? I think like without the team, I just wouldn't be playing while I was burnt out, which like in some ways is good. But like, I also like really, I really enjoy going to tournaments. I really want to feel prepared to go to tournaments. And like, while I've been, I I, I don't think, like, I guess when I've taken the breaks I have, I've always, like, come back, and it's been great to have, like, such a warm, welcoming group. I feel like I could be friends with, like, like I, I feel like I am friends with most of the team, but I could, like, individually have a friendship with everyone on the team, and that's, like, Except been me. really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes it really easy to come back to, I guess. One, one question for me, for you, Michael. I think all of us yeah. by after Worlds last year were pretty burnt um burnt out just they've been a lot all year long um we we changed up our scheduling a little bit going into this year um but have you been doing anything to not burn like have you changed your approach since the beginning of the year to not burn out um so i guess i would say i've kind of just been playing whatever i want to play and most of the time it's been decks that aren't gonna go anywhere and I guess I kind of did that before, so I don't know if that's really a change. Um, I think the lax schedule might have helped a lot because last year there was like an expectation, like be on every day at this time, play the games, and now with the like the team at the size that it is, you know, twenty people just aren't going to have the same consistent schedule all at the same time of day, and that's why like now like we were saying some people who can like play a game on like their lunch break as they're working from home or they get home from work in the evening and they can just jam at games but other team members are putting their babies to sleep at that time of night and so they have to wait a few more hours past that and it's just like i think making it more i was worried about like the more freeform schedule i was like well how do we how, like it was like one of those manager <laughs> expectations like how do we know what people are really going to be doing what if people yeah, are just but along you need for the, the clock ride? in <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. but it's just worked out really well because yeah, it turns out was, people like playing fab and will play fab when they have the chance yeah I, th I think that's one of the kind of guiding uh ways we've set up the team right and it, all of it that's you know you talk about being captain and stuff but it's all team conversations and like at the end of the day someone someone's got to move things along or whatever but uh we had a at the end of after worlds last year we had a what could we do better next year and that's where one of my goals came out that was like I don't want to be burnt by the end of the year. And so we looked at a bunch of different ways to make our processes more efficient and also to make everything better and make everything more enjoyable. Right. And one of the guiding kind of principles is, uh, again, it comes from a place of trust, which is it, we believe that everyone on the team wants to be as good at fab as they can be. 
Um, but a great example is Andrew at the start of the year. If we've been like, hey, you have to be on five days a week to be on the team. Uh, I think he burns out and I don't know if he ever recovers. And so mm. instead putting it in, basically giving everyone, empowering everyone and saying, hey, when you're excited and you're amped, like show up and play. And like we have a system where you can basically set your own schedule. It's just setting expectations. If you're not going to be there, you post that you're going to be absent or whatever. So someone doesn't show up at 630 in the morning and no one's there. That That's not great to to do that kind of a thing or set aside an evening or whatever. Um, but it, I, that is one of the huge upsides of having such a big team is you can let it be more free form because there's just so many people that can be on whenever people can be on. And then you lean into when it's exciting, when it's exciting, everyone's on all the time. Like right now it's, it, there's tons of people all the time, just constantly. Yeah. We're not even having any issue getting people together or drafting. It's just unfortunate that there's no, uh, easy or efficient way that we've been having to draft online um, just because of the issues that have been happening with the website where it's like, oh, wait, I have on pack six, but it's, so there's like two cars after my pack and now I'm on pick three. And there's... Uh, to, to be fair, that's... It's a, a free you're referencing, Yeah, you're referencing draftfab.com and uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the URL, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's... Draftfab.com and Telashar blow my mind and February, honestly. For sure. It's just like... The, the amount of work projects. these people are putting into this thing, and like, they may have patreons. I I don't know. I think I'm I signed up for any of them that had them that I could because it's just like it is crazy that you're doing this. Um, but yeah, uh, it is a little harder to practice draft right now. And if there were an online tool that you could easily do that, that would be sweet. Um, but yeah, the the huge team is very helpful for all that. Even even just having people from different metas that can draft in person and report back and play constructed uh, in person and report back is, is really powerful. Yeah. And the bigger team does help with like the different regionalities though, too, because like this weekend, Michael and I and uh, Ben on the team are going to get together with like five other people, like local good players um, and draft. And like, I know Fang up there in New York and a bunch of the New Yorkers are up there drafting and just like all the different regionalities are still able to like kind of coalesce. And I think that helps the team as well, because then like we get the reports from the New York draft scene. We get the reports from the Indianapolis draft scene. We get the reports from the Oklahoma draft scene to New York saying Riptide's broken and can't be defeated. And Indianapolis is saying Riptide's unplayable. How could you ever play Riptide? And we have to try to figure a way to like reconcile these wildly different opinions and like, I just like for limited specifically, I feel like we just understand the set and having the, the one thing that we do that I really like is like doing everybody goes through the whole set and like rates all the cards. And then we just kind of talk about, well, like, why do you think this about that card or what have been your experiences with this? Or like, have you ever even ever ever seen somebody ever think about hitting with the card toxicity or something like that? And it's just like the, having that resource, I think it's just going to be such a huge level up that it's not even going to matter. Like the fact that the whole collation drama is going around right now, but speaking of which, what, what is the drama? Can you, can you give me the TLDR on that T? Sure. Uh, do you know Michael? Or do you want me to go into it? I, I can go through it. So basically the Belgian print run and the Japanese print run have like the packs have different, um, like different amounts of different types of cards. Like I think one of the prints, always has two rares or a rare and a rare or higher. And one of them can have one rare and no higher rarity or two rares or three rares. And there's also like mixed, uh, like different amounts of different class cards that can show up in one of the print runs compared to the other. And basically they, there was a lot of discussion that, Hey, we need to know what's actually being drafted at the pro tour because it, how are we going to practice if we don't know what's going to be in the packs? And LSS basically said that, they're not going to tell us what they're going to do. They have something figured out and it's going to be top secret. Just learn the fundamentals. Stop trying to memorize the specific pack distributions. So that's the, that's the drama. Gotcha. Yeah. And I posted on Twitter where it's just like, for all the years, Michael and I drafted in magic, like and we listened to like uh, this uh, other podcast from magic called limited resources, not once in like the 10 years I played competitive magic. Did they ever go like, well, you should know that of the three uncommons on this booster pack, one of the uncommons should be right, white, red, and green or something like that. Or this is the distribution. So, you know, if you get handed the pack, they took what card of this color, like that's just not a thing like yeah. that's ever happened in magic. So it's just weird to me that just because it has been a thing in, 
previous Flesh and Blood sets, specifically Uprising, that people just kind of expected that going forward. But I would definitely say the Uprising experience was a huge bug more than a feature. And I know LSS was like pretty upset that people could be like, oh, well, this is the first red common of the box. I better take it because I'm only going to see one more red common for the rest of the draft pod. And if I don't take it, then I might not get it at all. Like that's just like not healthy you should be evaluating the cards based on the cards themselves not like the meta context of like what is available to you or what or knowing specifically what somebody just took before you yeah i've I've never it's interesting because clearly at worlds we were drafting uprising and we knew all that information um but i've I've, outside fab i've never played a game where that's true Uh, i didn't play magic so i don't know but it there wasn't a way to kind of like cheekily know what had been drafted in any, any of the games I've played before. Um, and I think the, it, just reading the solution, I, I know I read a lot, a lot of people on Twitter were, or at least a lot of vocal people on Twitter were not pleased uh, with the decision to, you know, do it how they're doing it. But I think as long as they're clear about the fact that you should kind of just expect the unexpected and it's, it's not going to be predictable and there's no, you know, you, you can't know until you get there and you're doing it. As long as they're clear about that, uh, I have no no personal problems with it. Like, is what I don't like is that, like, at, at Worlds, um, or no, it was Pro Tour Lil, I went in assuming that it was, like, our table was a single box mm-hmm. uh, that was being drafted. And that was very much not the case. And it was fine. Um, but it took a little bit to understand that wasn't the case. Um, and they weren't clear because we had we had played at previous events where that was more clear that was happening. Um, and uh, at nationals, I think one of one of my drafts that I did was the case. It felt like that. Uh, it it worked out that way. So, anyways, uh, all that to say, as long as they're clear about it, it just is what it is. It's a, it's kind of like the whole conversation about blitz as part of the world championship thing. It's like you can like it, you can love it, you can hate it, but at the end of the day. It's their event and it is what it is. And so like, I don't know. That's just my perspective on most things. Uh my dream now is that like in Magic, they had pro tours like the week after the set would release. Like it would be like basically like the set would release. You'd have like one or two weeks to find like your singles or whatever, collect your decks, figure out the the set, and then you start drafting. And like that just like didn't give people the time to like figure this kind of stuff out, even if it did exist. And I think it's, I would like to see the uh, more premier level events start to come out like sooner than sets. And it even gives like LSS even has incentive to do that because the other, because the magic was the professional tour, but it was also like cheekily known as the promotional tour because it came out so close to when the new set came out. Everybody's playing the new cards. Everybody's like, oh, this new card's on camera. I should go and buy the new set because all these new cards are on camera and it's out right now. Go buy, buy, buy. And it's like, it's it's not it's that's actually a pretty valid reason to have them closer to like the launches of the sets as opposed to like these one two worlds was like five four five months after uprising had come out it was like or like right before dynasty i think they wanted it to be like right after dynasty but they had like logistic issues but i don't know yeah dynasty came out a couple weeks later or like a week later or something yeah it was super weird i i'm pretty sure that they the goal was to have that out prior to Worlds, which I think is kind of cool to have like a supplemental. If you're going to drop a supplemental set, having it drop before a big constructed event like that is kind of cool. Um, and the other part of the problem last year, though, was just only one limited set is like really brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's just been so long with the previous limited experience and then also with the, the one limited experience we did get on the year. Um but yeah, I, I you know if you if you look at these big pro events, as far as I can tell from my experience, the big tournaments and and the big events are very much not uh, a they're not extremely profitable exchange for publishers. Hmm. The effort, the staff, the prize money, the everything going on. So I think uh, you know cheekily renaming it the promotional tour, even for Magic, makes a lot of sense. Like I think the the events are a marketing tool. Um, and the events in fab are a key integral part of the experience itself, of course. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of people are not going to play at pro tour three. They play the game. Like it's, it, 
that's even with blitz it's like the the percentage of people that that being the last five rounds of worlds actually affects is like so small compared to and i again i hate i uh, hate's a strong word i strongly dislike blitz and was not super excited that it was a format at worlds um but at the same time just understanding like this is their event they're the ones paying paying the money to make this happen they're clear about it well in advance so people could prepare and then it's a promotional thing right i mean it's the content it's the creators talking about it in the lead up it's the afterwards it's the gameplay films all that kind of stuff so uh i don't know i i'm with you though roger i, I like limited formats early um and on the one hand like world premiere pre-releases are super fun love that stuff um, but I, I don't know if this happened to magic or not, but I would assume if they put out a set and then had like a pro tour two weeks later, <clears throat> that would, that would like incredibly favor a large team That's or fair. people that just don't have to do anything else for two weeks besides test magic. But I would guess that like if fab did that, uh, one, we'd be in a great spot. So if you're out there listening, legend story, <laughs> do it, do it. Uh, make it happen. Uh, but it, it does feel for players that don't have a large team to test with or a large community. Um, t- tools like TTS or Talishar help with that, of course. But at the same time, like, I feel like a large group would get there way quicker uh, if we only had like a week or two to make it happen. That's fair. Um, Michael, you played in Magic the Gathering Pro Tours as well. Like, what's your take on this whole like timing and like the differences between the two games? Yeah, so I definitely agree with Zach that people that had access to big groups to figure out things faster, it helps a lot. Um, One difference between Magic and Flesh and Blood is Magic had a very healthy online scene, both with Magic Online and Magic Arena both being options. Um, If you needed to jam competitive drafts and you fired up Magic Online drafts that were like, you spent like $12 to play in this draft online, the competition was pretty fierce there because like these people were spending their money to play drafts. So it was like, very easy to get very competitive drafts to practice for pro tours online so like you didn't even have to play all your games at once either you could do a draft play one round take a nap play another round go do your work thing play another round and because of that it was just easier to get for like random people that didn't have teams because i never had a team in magic i would play with you a little bit roger i'd play with whoever was around but for the most part, I did most of my practicing on my own online and I was able to find a lot out just testing online because it makes sense. It was just a very different resource than Talishar and Talishar is great. You can get a lot of games. You can get games anytime, but you can't draft with random people and you also can't guarantee that your opponents are as like, yeah, or there's like. You, you play against anyone, like anyone that just wants to play a game when you queue up on Talishar. Yeah, so. Magic Arena has the ELO system or whatever they're ranking. And then Magic Online doesn't have like any systems like that. Like they do, but they don't matter for like matching or anything like that that I know of. But you had to pay money every time you played like a game on Magic Online. Like it cost you real actual dollar dues just to like play, even with like your constructed decks. It's like, you want to play five games of Magic the Gathering online? Give us $5, please. So like, just like, some people putting skin in the game it just already filtered out like so many people that would just like play whatever janky decks because they're incentivized to win because they just spent five dollars or whatever they want to win ten dollars back by going five hour or whatever but obviously like you're saying michael when everybody can just load up whatever deck they want whenever they want there's no ramifications for leaving whenever you want the quality of random opponents isn't necessarily the same thing then at that point yeah we're i guess like it felt like the testing was good enough online to prepare me for a pro tour without being on a team. And if flesh and blood did something similar and I didn't have the wolf pack, like I, I would have no idea how to get those kind of competitive games that I needed. That's fair. Yeah. It forced people to figure out how to make a team. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, but I don't think everyone would be able to. Um, and it's just kind of like, I, I, I go back and forth. I think what they're seemingly doing now conceptually, I like a lot, which is, if you have a set hit and you have about a month, four to five weeks to the next uh, major event, and it seems like that's this year that's what they're doing for Pro Tour, three national championship and world championship. And so like at Worlds this year, I think we'll get a new draftable set about a month, four to five weeks before Worlds actually happens. Um, and I think that with the 
if they do worlds again with constructed draft and blitz please no well i'm just preparing for it and then if they make a different decision sweet but if they if they do that uh having three formats to get ready for in that four to five week period it'll be plenty uh like and even with the big team i feel like four to five weeks will probably feel like two to three weeks too little uh which is good that's a good pace i think you, you don't necessarily want like last last at worlds part of the I think uh, friction on the draft part of it was we just had that draft set for so long. So like you didn't have to prepare for that part of it. Um, and it was and so unreal. <laughs> yeah. And then like the constructed format had been kind of very similar for a while. Um, and so I really love the idea that before worlds, we're going to get a new draft set and it's going to change, hopefully constructed and we're going to change blitz and hopefully we don't play blitz, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I expect worlds this year will be much, uh, much more interesting, even just from a spectator standpoint. So let's say LSS starts going up to four sets a year, which I know I think is the plan for, uh, 2024. Uh, well, how would you feel if they went back up to like each pro- big event was then associated with like a set? So you would have a set like at the beginning of the year, like, uh, January, February pro tour set uh number two in the year in like april may time pro two number three nationals worlds so like once a quarter big event do you think that would be too much and lead to burnout again or do you think that could be the, would the more frequent rotations kind of keep the game fresher at that point then um i feel like they're planning on doing four sets so i i would not be surprised if we get back to two pro tours, a national championship and a world championship next year. Um, it's also, you know, I don't know the numbers, but I know a, the largest chunk of players are in the U S and this year, the pro tour is in the U S. So next year, if the pro tour was in, let's say Europe or New Zealand or Australia or Brazil, Asia, Japan, or big markets getting yeah, into the game now, any, any of those areas, um, I could, if I were on their side, and you know I'm biased because I'm an American, um, but just given the, the size of the player base, I wouldn't be surprised if we have an American Pro Tour, and then a non-American Pro Tour and a non-American World Championship, and you basically have the ability to give, and it, 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 America could also get Worlds or whatever, but you have the ability for America to have one, Europe to have one, and some other market to have a major event. Um, if you add a fourth one, you just get to serve another market, right? And like, I think that that prevents the burnout thing for people that want to internationally travel to all those events. Like Michael, Michael loves international travel. It's his favorite yeah. thing. After France, no. I don't know if I can do it, dog. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it again. It, it, I'll go to <sighs> Worlds is the one international event I would go to. But I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's a lot. It's a, traveling internationally for a tournament is a lot. I have mad props for people that travel to America to come to these big events. And do well. Like it's France was a trip, man. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Um, but yeah, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if four four sets equals four major events, and then it's spread out a little bit more. Um, it gives people a chance to go to big events that normally don't, and then it it you know not, not a lot percentage wise. I don't think a ton of Americans are going to make it to you know, Japan or wherever. I'm going to Japan. Right. I'm going to Japan. Yeah. They could host a battle hard in Japan. I'm going to battle hard in Kyoto or any <laughs> name a city in Japan. I'm going. Yeah. You'd go to a battle hard in Japan. Maybe, probably. I don't know. We got a lot he's, of, he's, we got, he's walking it back. He's walking it back. It depends how much, but it depends what my uh, manner travel budget is at that point. You know, if it, if it has the funds to cover it, I'm much more incentivized to go. Yeah. Japan's on my like, Japan and New Zealand are high on my list of places I want to go. Still. I'm a huge weeb, huge yeah. weeb. And uh, so, if there were a calling or a pro tour at one of those places, I would be very incentivized to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I am curious if it's going to be like if four sets a year means one set a quarter, or if it means a limited set every four months, and then you know you drop the supplemental set two weeks before Worlds, and it's yeah. like. Good luck. I don't know. That'd be pretty exciting. Yeah, because I know they're. I think this next supplementary set will probably dictate a lot of that because this is going to be the first time that they're like really focusing and honing in. And I think they learned a lot of lessons that like just the 
from Everfest and Dynasty that you can't just keep giving each class in the game, especially as more and more classes keep getting added, like two cards and people are like, what do I need these unplayable two cards right now? Like they're unplayable now. I'm sure LFS has a plan for them in the future, but it's like, it's not a satisfying like experience to the people opening those packs or like collecting the product or stuff like that to have the cards like sit in a binder. But it, it doesn't give you like a lot of incentive incentivism to like go out and like buy all the things until like two years later and then by that time they're out of print they're out of circulation and then they're much higher you're like well now i need this card because it combines with the new ward draconic mega ultra ice illusionist that gives all your ward plus eight plus eight or something like that and i need all these ward matter cards from dynasty but so i don't know But, but i guess all that to say is just like the next supplemental set i think will determine the future of like how often we'll get like supplemental sets yeah and i you know, in hindsight, I think it's easier to understand what went wrong. But looking at it, I totally get the idea of we want to make sure no matter what class you chose to play or what hero you like, you get new cards every year, right? Or you get cards every couple sets. Um, but I'm it if those cards don't really have a huge impact, it's it's kind of the LCG problem. I don't know if you guys ever you probably haven't played any living card games, but <clears throat> like the Game of Thrones LCG. They have a monthly pack that came out, and it's not collectible, so it's not random. It's fixed. You know exactly what's coming in this monthly pack. Um, but I only played House Targaryen in that game. And so literally, uh, once a month, I would get one or two unique cards that I, like, you know, three copies of each card that you could put in your deck. Um, and, like, if you picture, if you, you know, or pick your favorite class, and you just have the set that came in, and then it was just, like, Every month after that, you just get two cards. Um, it's a very slow, slow burn, right? It's a mm. slow churn. A lot of times, and like they would do it thematically, so it'd be like a cycle, you know, focused on knights as an example. But the problem is that like you get two cards that are cool and they're knights, but you don't have the rest of the cards that go with the knights. And so it would take you like six months before you had enough of the cards to play the thing that they've been giving you. So you you get two new cards, but they're not even playable. And it's like, yeah. all right, well... So now you're going like these long stretches of time where you just don't get new things for for your thing. So I get why you would want supplemental sets to be that way, but personally, and I think what they've they've probably seen in the numbers is even limited sets like in this this most recent one, Outsiders with three different classes. Um, you know, there's people are buying it and people love limited and people are playing it regardless of what's in the set, and there are going to be. Some of the players that want the ranger cards or the assassin cards or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. One thing to Legend Stories credit is since we started interacting with Fab, they have continually been listening and trying to improve and change things. Yeah. Um, and they're not afraid to change things. I mean, Fab 2.0 is a great, big example, getting rid of Unlimited and the first edition thing. Um, and even this past set, you know, they're like making Majestics a little harder to get, but they're making Legendaries a little easier to get and like they're tweaking it. So I'm, I'm, and I'm sure this, this being the 10th set, it's going to be a pretty notable, that's like a pretty big benchmark for a lot of games, set 10. Yeah. Um, I played a lot of games that die around set nine or 10, like tons of games. <laughs> I guess we should be so, nervous then. Yeah, it's, well, I'm I'm not nervous at all. That's the part of the, the <laughs> miracle of Fab. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what it is um, and how they handle it. But mostly, you know, if I had to pick, I, I would. If I had to get rid of constructed or limited, I would get rid of constructed. Um, That's and crazy. That, <laughs> you're you're in the vast. But I I love I, I love agree. limited, but yeah, constructed's yeah, where it's like, at. If if there was a now if it were just limited right like if there were a new limited set every like couple months and i could just do that and like just keep doing it um that would be i i don't think it's necessarily a sustainable business but i that would be like my ideal game state right like if i were just playing that and there were a lot of big tournaments for drafts and all that kind of stuff and a new draft experience every so often um so uh and the other thing is i just i just know so many people that don't have a team that have full-time jobs, that have kids, that have lives, that have you know, all that kind of stuff going on. Um, and even going to local tournaments, like I went to the pre-release and then the release weekend stuff here in Oklahoma. And the people that are showing up to it that I haven't seen since Uprising came out, right? Like they were around for a month or two. We went to big tournaments for Nationals and Worlds and then Dynasty came out and it was just like, 
crickets. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so not that I, I love, I, there's some cards in dynasty I really love. And I think the theme's cool and the emperor is awesome and all that stuff. But like, and uh, introducing assassin was awesome, but that lack of the limited drum beat to me, uh, is a really big deal. I think for a, a, basically every tier of the game, all the way from the most kitchen table, uh, to the most competitive world championship. Um, so I'm glad they, again, that's a big change. And I know how much harder it is over the years. We've interviewed and talked with a ton of developers and designers of different games and the difference between designing a limited card set and constructed cards is like enormous. Mm. It's, it's crazy. And that's another reason supplemental sets are sort of necessary because there are cards you do not want in a limited environment that are perfectly fine and constructed. Um, and so it's tough. Uh, to, to find that balance, but I have full faith that they'll do it and they'll listen all along the way. So even if they don't quite get there uh, in time, I think they will. And I'm, I'm just uh, excited to watch it unfold because nothing's, nothing's for sure, right? Like they keep just changing little things at a time. And it's looking back at how Fab was going two or three years ago, the way it was functioning, even back when the pandemic, when events weren't happening, like it's really crazy to think about where it's at now and like what's yeah. going on and all the changes that have happened. So it's exciting. Yeah. So I guess to cap things off, final question I'm going to ask. So of the 10th set, the new set coming out, what's the, what talent slash uh, hero type are you most looking forward to either getting more support or potentially being introduced? We all know I'm a light warrior simp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think you're going to say Shadow Runeblade, Zach, but uh, I'll let you take that from there before kicking over to Michael. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the one thing that could happen in Fab, there's two things that could happen in Fab that would make me super pumped, like just beyond pumped. One is reprinting Duskblade in a playable form. Um, the art, the card, the theme, the lore, all that around that card is like, I, I saw that preview not even looking at the math of how crazy that card is. Just saw the card, saw there was a, a Dusk Blade. There's a Dawn Blade, obviously, with Dory. It's like, love the whole idea of that card. Uh, so if they reprint it and make it where we can use uh, Dusk Blade, that would make me very happy. Um, the other thing is, it's kind of weird. Like, I wasn't ever really into sh to Chain or Shadow Rune Blade, and part of that is because he was immediately Tier 1. Um <laughs> <laughs> like not even not even questionable right just kind of yeah. gross tier one but like the shadow theme in the lore is like one step past the kind of like uh it's, it's very gritty yeah it's just like it's one chain versus viscerai chain is like one click further down the like death and evil lane mm -hmm. And it's, I, I'm not offended by it, but it's like, ah, like chain, I don't know. Some of the it's cards kinda... are writ much, like uh, consuming bellows of hell or whatever and stuff like that. And there's yeah, like, it's you just, just like... see all the demons and guts literally falling from like yeah. the sky and stuff like that. Now, like, this, this is a bit much. <laughs> some of it, you know, is like cool. Like some of the chain art and cards is like, oh, that's kind of like creepy and like a, a good, like an enjoyable way. But some of it's just like, oh my God. Um <laughs> Which is fine. I, I have no like. Qualms so maybe with a light it. room blade. You want a nice, kind, peaceful room blade. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is like <laughs> one of two things happening: either Dory falling to like the shadows and being a room blade would be no. awesome. No, no. no or no. <laughs> or a light room blade would be awesome. I don't know what that would look like, but. Uh, that may not be the answer you were looking for, but Duskblade and then a light Runeblade of some kind, and then kind of 2.5 point is Dory uh, falling to the dark side, as it were, would be, I love that stuff. When, like, the good hero that everyone loves from the beginning is, like, suddenly on on the, the bad guy side, absolutely want it, want it to happen. Uh, anyways. I hope this right turns into a light guardian. I mean, he might. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you read his story, like, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Uh, mm -hmm. But th that's the like, that's where I think even just thematically the things I'm uh, characters I like in movies and shows and stuff. Or, like I grew up and like when I was eight or nine, watched Star Wars and Darth Vader was just suddenly the coolest person on the planet. And then you find out he's this conflicted person and like, uh, maybe, you know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, so Viscera very much fits that bill, right? He's got the like Vader, Anakin, like 
kind of being held against his will and not necessarily a bad guy, but maybe he could be a good guy at some point. So yeah, he could definitely, uh, I don't know lore wise how that would work, but, uh, I, I have hope for my boy Viserai. We'll see, yeah. uh, where he, where he lines up. What about you, Michael? <laughs> um, I'm not really a huge lore person, but I like what you said. I think like flipping expectations and having like a shadow Dorinthia or a light Viserai would be pretty cool. Um, I really am just kind of hoping they don't print another broken light illusionist because I like to play decks that cannot beat light illusionists. And <laughs> I think we're yeah, almost think all of definitely do. going to get one. I like to play the light illusionist. Yeah. We just got the, the... We're getting the shadow room played in a light illusionist, but... Do, do uh... you... So I know you You also do some uh, development work, Michael. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible that sort of like they changed the way traps work, that they would touch the word spectra. Like I'm not a rules guy. I'm not a rules guy, but when rules are not intuitive or they're like, you kind of have to remember how certain things work, not because it's principle into intuitive based system, you know, the way certain things function, uh, Mm -hmm. when rules are like that. And that to me, spectra has been that from the very beginning. It's like, Oh, my rune chance pop if I attack you with this thing, but not with this thing. And they changed that rule, but yeah. yeah. But the main point being that, like, do you think it was possible they changed the way Spectra works in this game? Is it too much? (laughs) I'm asking the hot questions here. I was actually going to talk about the the rune chant interaction because they they are making changes that they can do to make things work intuitively. How, like, at least be consistent. So, like, the weapons and the uh, playing an attack action both trigger at the same time when you attack a Spectra thing. So they have change the rules to make it a little bit more intuitive but i think like fundamentally there's not really there's not really a change they can make that would make it make sense like if you play your go again attack at it then there's nothing to hit because of how spectra works and like <laughs> so that you can't get your action point back because of everything with go again doesn't resolve unless the attack resolves so there's not really a clean way to fix that to give you your action point back and i think that's like the biggest thing that's kind of left that's really weird about spectra is like when you play your go again attack you don't get to go again um and i don't think even there's if really... it was just like unless you pay one you lose your action point i think that'd be fine like you you don't get go again unless you like pay a resource or something like that maybe i don't know i was more thinking like oh. on the traps they they're literally reprinting the cards right to change the the original trap rules anyways carry yeah. on. i i wouldn't be surprised if new new light illusions like auras i guess not illusions like new auras have different mechanics other than spectra maybe they're all ward and we don't see any more spectra things but i don't think they really i don't think there's really a clean way to fix the rules of spectra and i think like the old traps they didn't change their functionality they just made the part of them that was reminder text instead of being reminder text it's actual just rules text on those traps so like they're still you can only play them from arsenal and the other, the new traps just didn't have that. So I think they might move away from Spectra on the new auras, but I don't think we'll see something like a complete rework of how the old auras work. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, especially being yeah. like a physical card game, there's just not really a clean way to do that. If it was a digital card game, maybe they're like, we hate Spectra. We're just going to pretend it never existed. We're going to change <laughs> all these cards to never, to, as if they never had Spectra in the first place and they're going to get completely reworked. That, that's not something you yeah. can really do with a physical game. I, I will say uh, Luminaris going away is very helpful to that whole ecosystem sure. of Spectra. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I, I know people love Prism, so she'll be back, and that'll be... Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm excited. So, like, I have a love-hate relationship, because by the end, my favorite hero to play was Briar, and I felt like that was a really good match for Briar. But there was a good like six to nine months where I was on Viscerai before we had such hits as Revel and Runeblood or Swarming Gloomvale or Spellbound Creepers. Um, and I just could not beat Prism. Like it was like I would get really close every time and I just couldn't do it forever. So that built up. And I also love to play Bravo in the early days. So I built up a really healthy uh, dislike of Light Illusionist for that reason. And then on top of it, the rules worked a little wonky around the rune chance and the way mm-hmm. you interact with spectra 
and they take away the action points and it's like this isn't fair but it doesn't count as hitting a hero <laughs> so like your hit effects don't always trigger it's just like mm-hmm. all these uh, these things um and it, it did get better over time but all that to say uh i'm hopeful for all the fans out there that light illusionist is great uh but also not so great that michael hamilton can't play old hem or guardian or, or a wizard Icelander. it'll be a shadow wizard tell me Icelander can look never at, be prison <laughs> It'll be a shadow wizard. I, I would bet good money that'll be a shadow wizard in the next set. Look at Toma Torment. That's a that's a shadow card waiting to be uh played in a wizard deck. Do you so. think we'll get other classes? Like you think I we'll think get so. Shadow Wizard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I I I would be surprised if we didn't, basically. I think what? they'll give some support. I think they'll I, maybe they'll sprinkle like because we know there's like and if you focus it around the talents, right? So, like, think about, like, if you just introduce, like, Arachne, this new class in a supplemental set. Well, like, Arachne then only has Arachne assassin cards and generics. That's it. But if you would have introduced, like, Shadow Arachne, at least in the in the last set, you at least would have had, or Shadow Assassin, you at least would have had the assassin cards, the Shadow Assassin cards they probably would have put in the set, the Shadow cards and generic pool. So, like... If you're going to take a supplemental set, introduce it seems like a better way to introduce new heroes with the talents because they just by default have just a wider card pool that they would have access to right off the bat. Yeah, like Starvo yeah. had a great card pool. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it was just like, oh, this new <laughs> elemental guy, he gets all the elemental cards. That's a he had like the <laughs> biggest card pool in the game. It was crazy. Yeah. What a coincidence. And, and he was t- good, huh? Crazy. Yeah. Who would have thought access to cards in a card game is good? <laughs> Yeah. Well, on that note, off that with that sage wisdom that I'm sure we'll report back to the Wolf Pack. Uh, any f- final concluding thoughts here, Zach or Michael? Uh, final note for me. Thank you guys again for having me. It's a privilege to be here, and it's an honor to be your first repeat guest. I love having you on the Wolf Pack, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. I, I mean it. And if you're out there, two two people, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you enjoy what they're doing, tell them that. Tell them what you like. Give them high fives. Give them pats on the back. Give them compliments. And if you're also out there creating content and building community, whether it's Flesh and Blood or any other game, uh, just keep doing it. Uh, you're, you're a huge part of why these games are worth being a part of and why these communities function. Um, so it's a lot of work, but uh, it's really meaningful, even if you don't hear that very often. So thank you guys for doing it. Thank you for help building uh, the incredible community that is fab. And looking forward to seeing you at Pro Tour 3. If anyone out there, if you're going to be at Pro Tour 3, be sure to say hi. Flash the wolf fact symbol. Uh, everyone will be happy. <laughs> uh, I just want to say thank you very much, Zach, for coming on. And you're always like a really like you're a very positive person. And you also are a great storyteller. And I feel like that leads to just like a very pleasant experience. Like I'm, I'm engaged by your stories and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are too. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for the compliment. Yeah. I like both of you guys a reasonable amount, and I plan to keep <laughs> interacting with you both a reasonable amount in the future. So with all that being said, the next time you're playing Flesh and Blood on a team or not, always remember to mind your manners. Thanks for watching. Bye.